0: It does feel, like, foreboding. Mm -hmm. It's like we were given a gift by Ridley Scott this week. Yes! And then just, like, staring ahead at the schedule, like, oh, I don't think think we're staying in this zone.
1: Yeah, this is like uh, an island in the middle of the sea, or, like, an oasis in a desert. (laughs) uh, And, I mean, uh, this week and next are
0: going to be so hot. Like in terms of like just quality movies. Oh, good, next, yeah, these
1: two are gonna good be good tales boys.
0: to tell about making of all of it is you know things we're learning about our filmmakers because I think both of them reach new places on the next two films. Certainly this week, I think we yes! a, new, a new point in a career. But man, um... <laughs> don't feature Christopher Columbus and QAnon. We're gonna get a different crowd.
1: Yeah, yeah. it's gonna be. It's gonna be different it's yeah it's it's it's, scott is one of those guys where like you know he'll do a great he'll do a classic and then he'll just have to he'll do two in the middle of the field like he'll do two. it's tough he's not you wish he was just a hair more consistent
0: he's yeah his um workaholic behavior outruns quality control yeah, sometimes, and we'll talk about it in just a moment. Here, it all boils down to the scribe, the written word. I mm-hmm. think when on these pictures, that's but true. First, hello and welcome to the award-winning podcast, The Academy Academy, the show that discovers the absolute, undeniable,
1: and scientifically proven greatest performance in your favorite actor's esteemed career. I'm Don Saunderson. I'm Patrick Krembon. I'm matching your cadence. Welcome to the
0: academy. I,
1: I, we're trying new voices this week. We were a hundred episodes in. <laughs> we're now a hundred years old. We, have, we are revealing ourselves to be old men. <laughs> ah, so
0: and we I... have, and these old men have thoughts on Thelma and Louise. <laughs> yeah,
1: <laughs> two old white men. Yeah, you bet. You want their thoughts on Thelma and Louise.
0: That is like the funniest thing though, It's, like all of the think pieces that came out in nineteen ninety-one by scared like fifty something white men in like oh, the, yeah. in like the newsweeks of the world and stuff like that.
1: Just like yeah, Mr. Phyllis Schlafly in the weekly standard. <laughs> I know. Um
0: I? is is my is my wife gonna <laughs> run away and try and find herself
1: and blow up tanker trucks?
0: <laughs>
1: I don't want my wife to be scary.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, that's Christopher McDonald in this movie. That's his final reaction in this movie is, I don't want my wife to be scary.
1: Yeah, he's like, yeah, that's his big realization. The end is, oh, no, my wife is scary.
0: Which I think almost every one of the men in this movie, that is their realization. It's like, oh, we don't know anything. We are not in control. And in the snap of our if we don't fall in line and behave ourselves a bit. Our tanker truck's getting blown up. Yeah, rightfully so justifiable <laughs> we had ding dong city in this movie on the uh, on the male side of things <laughs> yeah,
1: just a couple of just a bunch of bowling pins begging to be yes. striked out <laughs> so of course
0: we're talking about 1991's Thelma and Louise this week uh directed by one Ridley Scott uh before we get into it as per tradition starting last week Thelma and Louise currently is available to stream on HBO Max. And um, you can rent it elsewhere, too. I dropped by our friends at the Videotech in Pasadena and actually rented a Blu-ray copy so I could take a look at some of those sweet, oh sweet, sweet, sweet special features, of which there is a one-hour documentary on Whoa. there, in addition to a Ridley Scott commentary, paired with a Susan Sarandon Gina Davis, Callie Corey, separate commentary. This Blu-ray is stacked. Mamma Mia! Mamma Mia, what a nice addition on Blu-ray. But if you're not interested in physical media, it's on HBO Max. Um, Spoilers abound. Uh, We, this is a movie where you absolutely have to talk about the ending. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs)
1: um, This is, yeah, this movie, it kind of like hinges on that ending. I
0: will admit, like, when Jen found out, I had never seen it before when my therapist found out I had never seen it before, because we talked about it a bit. Um, they were both like, well, yeah, was it spoiled for you? I was like, you could not have grown up in the 1990s without yeah! the ending of this movie spoiled for you. I feel like, like this,
1: yeah, this is like the, um, for me, for my generation, because I'm a little younger than you, for my generation, it was like Sixth Sense. Like just constant, like, you know what the, like, yeah, it's just one of those movies where you're going to know the ending because it's been inundated in pop culture.
0: Yeah, and the ending is, um, you know, kind of like we alluded to in the cold open, kind of thing that's, it's it's quite controversial. It's quite, there are a lot of opinions on it. I should also mention that both Jen and my therapist were deathly upset by the way this movie ended. And I am curious, and we can kind of like plant this seed and maybe talk about it as we go through. I wonder if there is a difference in the ending based on gender, based on also like kind of your background on how you take the ending to this movie Mm. because both them saw it as like a painful that's it that's what we have to look forward to Mm -hmm. kind of feeling if you want to be liberated you gotta commit suicide and drive your car the cliff um and i saw it as kind of like this level of like nirvana level liberation like i'm not gonna be fucking caged man you know and i was moved like i cried when I was watching
1: it, it's like yeah, it.
0: Um, I don't know how you felt. I know you you were new to this movie too.
1: Yeah, I was new to this movie too. And like, I think, um, it, uh, thinking about it, it reminded me almost of. Uh, I feel like I bring up this example, like like the the, the 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 something I like read in school multiple times was the the, the opera Don Giovanni, mm-hmm. and like the the, the opera Don Giovanni is about a horrible man who is, like, unrepentant in his evil, and he ends up getting, like, dragged to hell because he refuses to, like, adhere to, like, you know... He he refuses to say sorry! That's essentially what happened. So, like, in this movie, you realize it's, like, a world of Don Giovanni. Like, every man in this movie is essentially a Don Giovanni for them, with the exception of one or two characters, maybe. Who are still imperfect. Yeah! No. Oh, yeah, definitely, 100%. Yeah, even, like, the good men still have flaws. Mm. And... Uh, and what's kind of makes the ending liberating in a way. It is a, a shame that like the two, like you know, uh, these two characters, like they, it is framed as like their liberation has to come at the cost of their life or whatever. But it kind of feels like they're like Don Giovanni the Don Giovannis. It, it kind of fucking rules. Like they're taking that like unrepentance and well, it's,
0: it's a true um. Like in cinematic history, the truly rebellious characters, like, mm-hmm. like who well, have all been men. Part of this is yeah! another reason why this is so controversial. But I mean, the ending that I, I mean, it was immediate to me was Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid.
1: Oh yeah, was yeah, the
0: exact thing. Because mm-hmm. and they have the same kind of like fun rebel society can't pin us down qualities that Thelma and Louise have, include and. Sure. Same kind of similar kind of actors, even in that moment in their career, and then the, the other movie, which is totally different. Right? But I remember I got a little bit of flack, and I read a few reviews that felt the same way. And this is, a, yeah, totally different movie. Is the finale of, um and spoiler alert here, Midsommar. Oh. Uh, yeah. Also, because it did, Midsommar is also an ending about liberation through violence, mm-hmm. and a. F- truly fiery violence and I felt the exact same way I cry at the end of that movie too because I'm so happy for her (laughs) and 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 I was told that that was kind of a sick reaction because her happiness hinges on a lot of chaos and death Mm -hmm. and in the same vein Thelma and Louis's liberation a lot of chaos and their demise possibly Fade mm-hmm. black. Fade to white. <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> fade to uh montage of previous moments in the film.
0: Yeah. I think that um
1: that Butch Cassidy ending where
0: it's just on the freeze frame and then kind of just pulls away on the photo and like leaves you ha- like I would have liked to like hang on just the freeze frame of the car right. a little bit longer than fade to white mm-hmm. and no montage, but I think it's just I don't know. Like, it, it's a very minor quibble.
1: Yeah, <laughs> it totally. It's like such a, a yeah, it's like, no, and it doesn't ruin. I feel like, if anything, that's supposed to kind of, like, sweeten the blow a little bit. Like, we yeah, had, like, because, like, yeah, that montage at the end is kind of like, hey, these are the two friends we had, a, like, a good time with throughout this movie.
0: And they're free.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: You know, and the, at least they had each other. Uh, <laughs> yeah, because. <laughs> the rest of the united states of america was not really on their side that's
1: the, that's the thing too is like it's like a movie i think that like really frames it as like either like if you want to survive you have to cotton to, to all this bullshit that's kind of how they frame it in this film and it's like these were and two people that were just pushed they couldn't cotton anymore
0: yeah exactly and then the other movie i was going to compare it to was easy rider um which has a different kind of ending but kind of a similar ending of like you're man. just not allowed to be free man
1: that is Dude, that's, that's a fucking, yeah, it's, it is like an Easy Rider-esque movie. It is, that's, yeah, that's a really good observation, in my opinion, because it has, I had some of those same vibes watching. Like, this is obviously a much funner movie than Easy Rider. Oh,
0: for sure. Way yeah, more way fun. way closer to Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid than Easy Rider. Easy Rider.
1: but there are still those, like, echoes of, like, this is, like, a world that's designed for you not to function in a way that will make you happy. And like if
0: you do not follow in suit with the rules, man, um you're gonna be you're you might have to sacrifice everything, including yeah, and, your life. And guess to what this live rule? truly free and independent in a country that tells everyone they're free. Yeah man, <laughs> I'm getting Dennis Hopper here. here. <laughs>
1: man, yeah, I'm getting full hops, I feel you. Full hops. Yeah. There's a lot going on
0: in this movie, and I think, you know, before we get into it, let's just tear off the band and say we loved it. It's a good one! It's it's a really good movie. It's a great movie, yes! (laughs) 100%! Like, it really has aged well, too, on top of everything else. Like, it isn't cringy. No! all of And all of its themes, sadly, still ring quite true. Mm -hmm. But it does it in a very mature adult way. This is a movie for adults. This is and it dives into all of its themes really well in a really resonating way but never forgets it's a movie that needs to tell a good story that we're like invested in. It the movie never screeches to a halt to make a statement.
1: No, I think like it's able to make the points it wants to make while simultaneously maintaining a fun pace. And, you know, never it never feels like a slug. It's one of those
0: interesting thing, too, is um, to kind of dive in. I'll let you finish your point. Then I I have a transition.
1: Oh, no, I was just going (laughs) to say it's just one of those rare movies where, like, the acting is great. The writing is great. The direct all the everything is like firing on all cylinders. Superbly
0: cast. We'll get into it in just a moment. But top to bottom, Mm -hmm. all featured players in this movie. Really really make a meal out of each of their roles which is real and ridley scott brilliantly casts against type in a few in a few very cool ways in this movie thing Mm -hmm. people you'd expect to behave certain ways do not and unless you're shooter mcgavin and you he behaves exactly the way you want him to behave (laughs) (laughs) Uh, but basically um ridley scott um, one of the big things in this movie that he apparently, in all the script meetings, he was pushing super hard to keep the humor. Not known as a funny man. Not known as a guy who is an easy laugh mm-hmm. if you're trying to make him laugh. But he really believed in kind of that balanced levity in this movie. And he was right. Yeah. He was 1,000% right that this movie needs light moments to balance out the dark moments. And it really goes to show like making a good movie that hits all these like levels mm-hmm. is really a magic trick
1: yeah it's yeah I think it's like so there's so many things that have to go right for for a movie to work <laughs> and like they have to have to go right or else you're there like and this is one of those movies where it feels like pretty much everything went right yeah and
0: you know, in this case we've we've actually covered quite a few in a row where things were not perfect for yeah. Reggie Scott. You know, he's coming off of Black Rain. Uh... Let's call it okay. Yeah,
1: it's like it gets All him right. out of director jail, I
0: guess. Gets him out of director jail. It's pretty entertaining, um but imperfect. Mm-hmm. But it kinda that d- does what it needs to do. And this is this is key moment for him. He decides that he's going to start a production company to kind of take control and develop stuff, stories, through his production company. He hadn't done that before in his career. He'd kind of been a hire for hire guy. Stuff had fallen in his lap. He's going to hire a team, development team. They're going to start making things either for him to produce or for him to direct that kind of have a little bit more of his um, quality control. Mm. If you will, to it. um, and they, you know, he hired a um producer by the name of Mimi Polk now Mimi, Mimi Polk Gitlin to mm-hmm. be his kind of head executive. And um one thing I was reading about him, which I really think is so fascinating about him, you know he attributes it to his mother really relate- raising the boys in their mm-hmm. family. he's he he finds and is impressed with and he loves to work with and he loves to be challenged by strong women. Which yeah, is, for a guy of his generation and of his job rare a rare trait. And I, I think yeah. it, I mean, it starts with goes back to uh Ripley in Alien too. Mm-hmm. It comes out in his characters. We talked about how much we liked Lorraine Bracco in um someone to watch over me and obviously this is kind of the pivotal one. That we're going to be talking about today where his respect and admiration for women
1: i actually have like a ridley scott like quote that pertains to the thelman louise script, uh, script that like i think like and it, uh, exemplifies what you're saying like when scott was uh commenting on why he liked like the thelman louise script uh, he stated, uh, I'd never had trouble letting women tell me what to do. All the years I'd run my company, I'd found that women were the best men for the job. Uh, Scott Free, which is like, yeah, it's a little bit of a. Eh, yeah, it's like a probably little bit to say today. But yeah, uh, exactly. Like, it's like, oh, I think I'm a cool guy saying that. And you just kind of yeah. come off as a doofus. But uh, he's trying. Uh,
0: his, he's trying.
1: <laughs> he's trying his best. But wait, the, 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 the second part's more interesting, though. The So Scott Free L.A. was run by a woman. Scott Free London was run by a woman. I could sit around and analyze the foolishness of men since men are fundamentally the children in any relationship. Like, I think, like, that, like, line, and I'm not saying that's right or whatever, but I think, like, reading that line made me understand, like, oh, wow, that actually, him directing Thelma and Louise works because, like, when you see all the men in this movie and how they function in the context of what he just said there, like, yeah, like, that, he's and a there's,
0: good... There's a brilliant quote kind of along those lines from Susan Sarandon on this which basically she said um he trusted us to take care of stuff that was within our jurisdiction mm-hmm. and he took care of the stuff that was more than we could have imagined wow yeah and it's... to leave them alone let them be who they are he hired the best he hired the right people it's not his place it's like um you know and i think that that you have to if you're like, I think that you can tell stories outside of your wheelhouse if you're open-minded. And yes. you really listen to people who it is within their story, within their wheelhouse, and bring in those voices to assist you in yeah. the process. Like, I remember that story on, um, I really liked that Invisible Man movie with Elizabeth Moss that came out a few years ago. Oh, yeah, yeah. And the second she was hired, Lee Wannell, the uh, writer-director, he brought her in for a rewrite. Mm-hmm just so he can get her perspective on this character who is being traumatized and abused by this abusive boyfriend that he could not totally get to himself you know you read enough psychology books you read history you write, read articles you can get kind of like a ground level basics but mm-hmm. if you want to get details you want to get true feeling um yeah like be curious you got to go to the source your, you can yeah go to go to the source you can find your way listen and you can still be a part of it You know, you shouldn't, you know, if, but you have to be open-minded.
1: Yeah, I think, and I think, like, golly, because I think, like, that's, like, another thing about Susan Sarandon, too. She got, she had a lot of opinions. I can't wait to talk about the casting. Yeah. Because there are so many people that were, could have potentially had these roles.
0: Well, it, I mean, sadly, I mean, you could see it. It's like, that script shows up today. Every single actress in Hollywood is killing each other for those roles. Yeah! Because these roles don't come around. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know? They just don't come around. And, you know, we could quote some of the awful executives who had comments on this script. I don't even think we want to give them credit because they're losers. Oh, yeah, goblins. <laughs> Ooh, goblin losers. So basically, they're looking around for stuff. Meanwhile, in Santa Monica, California, um, a young uh, music video producer apparently did, like, Monthly Crew type stuff yeah um it's like
1: it's it's just she she just it's almost like the way that she described having to work for these hair on these hair metal music videos it's almost like it's like she was like working in a hieronymus Bosch painting of a don simpson party that's like yeah yeah, that's like the world she was stuck in
0: (laughs) but um a young uh producer and writer by the name of callie Corey has an epiphany one day where she's just basically a very simple one what if two women went on a crime spree? Essentially Mm -hmm. is what it comes down to. She's walking out to her garage to a shitty job as she has this thought. So she starts by hand never having uh, written a screenplay just kind of bat around some stuff. Mm -hmm. Then she ends up getting some scripts to look how formatting is and she goes to her office and types it up at night borrows the computer it's all happening in the late 80s yeah the she doesn't know what to do but you can tell this yes this like a classic spec script this is like the ultimate like lottery ticket dream for anyone who moves here to be a screenwriter is what happens mm. <laughs> with the, with this script but what the difference is is she's not trying to capture trends she's not trying to get a job she is writing from her heart and soul. And oh, that is the difference.
1: Yeah. Well, I, I mean, a lot of this, uh, she even like, uh, I read like an article by, oh, uh,
0: yeah, please share that. I, I was, we we're feeding the baby. and I did not get a chance to read this article. Uh, no, no there. worries.
1: Uh, and it, it, and it actually goes through to the majority of that what's covered in the book. Mm-hmm. But, uh, if you ever like, uh, the right of a lifetime by Sheila Weller, it's a fascinating article. I think it's vanity fair. I want to say, Yeah,
0: it was a vanity fair.
1: Yeah uh, failing, failing vanity fair Graydon Carter. Trump, get out of here. Sarge, get out of here, Trump. Uh freaking Trump, get out of here, sir. Yeah. Uh Trump. get some go get some c- go Cuv Fifi. Is that what oh, it was? Oh
0: that's what it was.
1: Uh I, I felt my yeah. like I help I felt my brain roll its eyes at what I said. Yeah. <laughs> whatever. Whatever, brain. But uh, you know, uh, a lot of it was like inspired by stuff that like happened to her in her life, like, because she, um... Wasn't she from the South originally? She was, yeah. so she was born in Nashville. Okay. Or no, no, she was born in Kentucky, my bad. She was from Kentucky. her she father, made the
0: show Nashville later on.
1: She did make the show, because she lived in Nashville. Yeah. She, like, before she lived in L.A., she was a waitress in Nashville, and her one of her best friends was a uh, country musician named Pam Tillis, who was kind of like the Gina, she, you know, Gina, uh, she was the uh, Thelma De Callie's Louise. Mm-hmm. And so... Uh, like a lot of like Susan Sarandon's character is like Callie Curry, or like that's like a lot of like yeah is inspired by that. And there's actually like stories. She was like, uh, Callie was like, um, there were two moment times in her life where she was like stuck up outside of like you know working, uh, or like leaving a club or something like that. Where like one time when she moved to L.A. she uh. She was uh she got a job as a waitress at the improv and Larry oh, da- and Larry David was walking her to her car. Oh and uh, two guys like came out, one of them had a sawed off shotgun Jeez. and just like and like you know, robbed them. They were like, give us your stuff, and they had to. And then the another time, I think it was even before that, uh Gina Davis and Pam Tillis were like leaving.
0: I mean Kelly Corey and Pam Tillis.
1: Kelly Corey, yeah, sorry, Gina Davis my brain uh Callie Corey and Pam uh, Tillis were leaving uh, i don't know if they were like leaving a club or just leaving a restaurant but uh, they got you know stuck up and the people wanted her purse and Callie was like uh she was later recounted saying like if i had a had if i had had a gun i'd have killed them so like this is almost like in some ways this is like a movie being like okay what would have happened if i had that gun that day what would have mm-hmm. happened it's like that
0: <laughs> which is kind of the best way You know, Jordan Peele talks about the writing horror screenplays. It's like it needs to start with like just a simple thing. What the hell am I afraid of? Yeah. And then you could like if it scares me, probably scares someone else. And that's what I think about this story. It's like all those stories like getting robbed at gunpoint or all the terrible things that young women. Well, all women have to put up with in the United States. It's unfortunately quite universal. Yeah! And so that these specific stories that she's telling that's why this movie to this day strikes such a massive chord. Um, oh, should, for sure.
2: For
3: sure. Also
0: note there's a full book about the making of this movie called Off the Cliff that I only discovered today so I apologize because <laughs> I probably would have picked it up
1: oh, uh, man, to
0: read about that making of because i it sounds um, riveting as a book <laughs> and um, maybe check it out at some point if we uh, take a look at this movie again. But basically, um due to her um music video connections, uh Callie Corey passed the um script off to Julian Temple, mm-hmm. um, music video director, documentarian, father to Juno Temple of Ted Lasso. Oh, um,
1: oh the 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 plot thickens.
0: The plot thickens. Is this I mean, the, in a yeah. very Ted Lasso like uh, plot swerve like
1: <laughs> Whoa, Whoa. It'd be so great if, like, in season three of Ted Lasso, it turned into, like, Under the Dome or something. I know. My my God, I'm trying to keep an upbeat behavior, but there's a damn dome over London. I (laughs) guess I'll reference Beyonce and and make a biscuit. I'm having (laughs) a real damn trouble believing when we are running out of food. Pennywise, please don't eat me. I'll talk to you about it. My Rudolph.
0: jaw's ripped off. (laughs) Um, anyway it starts to and this is again like the Hollywood screenwriter dream everyone who reads it in particular women readers Mm -hmm. are like this is tremendous I can't get this out of my head I love this you have like created this fully three dimensional world and characters and a relevant story that's also like moving and entertaining Mm mm-hmm Somehow it gets in the hands of Mimi Polk at um, Ridley Scott's production company. She reads it. She absolutely flips. Can't stop thinking about it. Hands it off to Ridley Scott. To get back to Ridley Scott's being kind of an open-minded guy. He reads it and he's like, yeah, it's fucking good. I'm like, let's do it. But he had it in mind for some reason that he wanted to produce the movie, not direct it. Mm-hmm. Um, interestingly enough though he, everyone he interviewed to direct it there's a combination of things that are kind of interesting here he interviewed all men mm-hmm. and he did it again this is kind of like that quote that Patrick just did mm-hmm. I think that the intentions were in like solid he didn't want to make it like just a social social justice kind of screed he right. wanted he wanted to find balance, in a way. Um, and that seems to me to be kind of a very surface-level decent thought, but not totally thought out. Yeah, I think uh, it's like
1: that's kind of like a lot of men at this time. But we, also of, have yeah. go,
0: we do have to go back to 1990 and think about kind of the scene and what kind of implications he thought were there in that.
3: Right, right, um,
0: right some of the directors oh, like we got. Yeah. some of the directors that they took a look that he talked to included Bob Rafelson Five Easy Pieces Kevin oh. Reynolds um, Fandango Robin Hood Prince of Thieves same year actually mm. as um, Thelma and Waves and of course Waterworld later on and Richard Donner Goonies mm. Lethal Weapon um, so very like masculine directors
1: yeah and they're all you know competent uh like they've all made bangers like they're not like they're all
0: good directors tarantino's wouldn't be an episode if i didn't do a tarantino quote but he he said like uh uh kevin reynolds was gonna be the uh like john ford of the 80s or something (laughs) like after he saw fandango he was like it's the fucking best (laughs) you know (laughs) but fair. Um, if you
1: just saw bandango that's fair
0: that's fair. all of them their big question was why aren't you directing this movie ridley mm-hmm. and he really like couldn't like find a way to like express that Mm-mm. like he he had to like almost be told you should do you actually have a vision for this you should do it and he may have been a little nervous it's certainly like Plot-wise, uh, story-wise, a little bit outside of his wheelhouse. Mm-hmm. You know, to this point, you know, sci-fi, fantasy, and like crime movies and macho movies in a lot of ways. Despite you know changing the gender of um, Ripley and Alien, um, should be noted too that they brought it around to Hollywood to a whole bunch of production companies. A lot of them laughed in their faces. They didn't like the idea. They were really, really put off about women behaving this way, these male executives. They found it very like unsavory in a way. And which is crazy because you make I mean, you bring it to Warner Brothers, they just made Lethal Weapon where like cops are behaving this way. Black Rain. Michael Douglas is behaving worse.
1: Yes, arguably. (laughs) In
0: a different country. Like in a different country. (laughs) Yeah. He's running rampant over Japan. Um and so they had to um they got financing from MGM, who was really struggling at the time, and Alan Ladd Jr., who was the producer and financier of the piece. Uh, Scripts went out. The original leads of Thelma and Louise are Michelle Pfeiffer and Jodie Foster, excellent actors. Mm. You can see it. Yeah, but, like I don't think it's out of outside the box. No. And um, but pre-production took a while, dragged on, trying to find the cash for this. Really like struggling to find the cash for this one. Um, they both ended up going on to do other things. Michelle Pfeiffer went on to do Love Field, and Jodie Foster, of course, the very same year as Thelma and Louise, was in Silence of the Lamps. Mm-hmm. So worked out for everyone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but Michelle Pfeiffer was the one who sitting poolside at some ritzy hotel in Beverly Hills looked really Scott in the eye and was like, why the hell aren't you directing this movie? And that was kind of the epiphany moment where he was like, I think I need to toss my hat in the ring and do this one. So he signed on to be the director, which made it an even hotter property. Everybody, you know, one of the big directors is now definitely involved in this movie. Also considered very interestingly enough. Yeah. Uh Death becomes her b- before Death becomes her. Meryl Streep and Goldie Hahn. Uh Meryl uh playing the role of Thel of uh Louise, Goldie Hahn playing Thelma. Can you see it? I can. Yeah, that'd be good. Yeah, it'll be good. Apparently Meryl Streep <laughs> was the one who pitched the idea that one of them should should, should freaking survive.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, no, Streep was like, yeah, she should push, Streep should push uh, Thelma out of the car before the car, because Thelma's a good person.
0: Yeah, it's, um, she, 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 but at the same time, she probably was reacting the same way as I mentioned Jen, (laughs) and my therapist reacted. After all of this, I don't want to see them both die.
1: That's totally like, fair. It's like absolutely fair. Although this also does, like, support our, like, unified Streep theory. Like, our theory that, like, uh, there's, she like, a certain a little, type of movie.
0: She gets a little queasy. Yeah. Yeah. She gets a little queasy when it kind of skirts the morality, when it goes into shades of gray. Yep. It's like her and she, Jackie
1: Chan. Yeah. Oh, yeah. good call. Good call, yeah. dude. her and Jackie Chan. Yeah, because yeah, Jack, Jackie Chan wouldn't play that trucker. He'd be like, no. No. <laughs> Two people we uh, two
0: people we love, Meryl Streep and Jackie Chan, but yes. are a little inflexible on how they see themselves at morally playing things out in cinema. Yes, but it didn't really matter because let's go through the list here: Sybil Shepherd, Daryl Hannah, Ellen Barkin, Nancy Travis, Madeline Stowe, Rebecca De Mornay, Meg Ryan, Kathleen Turner, Kim Basinger, share down the line, man. Basically, um, everyone. Yeah, all, all every, of them have been good. Every yes, every <laughs> successful actress within this age range wanted the one of these roles. Man, but there was one actress who was particularly intense about it, and that was of course Gina Davis. Mm-hmm. On the Blu-ray special edition, she tells the story that she got the script. And she convinced herself not only that she was destined, that this had to be, she had, had, had to be in this movie, that she was also going to play Louise. That was the role she wanted. Yeah, oh, man. Or no, not Louise. Pardon me, Thelma. She wanted <laughs> the Thelma, the role she ended up with. Um, she was coming off of a Best Supporting Actress Academy Award win for The Accidental Tourist from Lawrence Caston. I've never uh, seen it. Uh, also um, The Fly
1: oh yeah Uh, as well yeah she Uh, had some banger death some beetlejuice too she was on something yeah Yeah.
0: like she's not a superstar she's not meryl streep but she's on her way yeah these are some some these are some some nice stuff she's a real hot up-and-comer she gets ridley scott a meeting with him about it and she proceeds to go for like an hour Giving him all of the th- her thoughts on the character, all of the reasons, everything in between with regards to um why she should play um play the part and so she why she had to be louise really sits there stone faced as he as he's wont to do they she gets done he goes. So, in other words, you won't play Thelma. Gina Davis goes into another hour on why she should play
1: Thelma <laughs> <laughs> she was prepared,
0: yeah. and <laughs> she and she went into it, and he was like, "Boy, I love it." And you're right. You are Louise it, it, you know, and they had. Uh, it should also be noted, too, uh, the two actresses Callie Corey had in mind when she was writing. Uh, oh, yeah. Who actually would have been awesome in the indie version of this yeah, movie. Yeah, I saw this. Are uh, uh, Frances McDormand and Holly Hunter, which would have been really groovy as well. Would have watched that movie, too.
1: Yeah, <laughs> they would have, like, Frances McDormand and Holly, they, they would have crushed. It would have been... And we know, About, like, yeah.
0: Holly's Holly's playing um, Louise, and Frances McDormand has to be Thelma.
3: Mm, right yeah
0: Yeah, i think so Um, i think so but then they decided to go um to a actress 10 years Gene davis senior which does give a really cool older sister vibe to the proceedings susan saranda Mm. who was not um as like overtly enthusiastic as Gina Davis was about getting the part, but brought a certain metal, a certain energy, a certain like lived-in quality to the um, to the role. It's truly necessary because when you watch the movie, uh, Louise's trajectory is much easier as a viewer to diagram. Selma mm-hmm. keeps things a lot closer to the vest, so I think you need a t- like a harder. Less inviting actress to play the role because she does not want to reveal. Like we never find out truly what happened in
1: Texas. Okay, yeah. Oh, you mean Louise? Louise, Louise is Susan Sarandon. Me. Yeah, my bad. Yeah.
0: So I'm gonna I'm gonna do uh, actresses because I get I get that Thelma Louise. Reason, yeah, for yeah. some reason I think Susan Sarandon should be first yeah. in the t- in the character names. That's fair. Like, that's fair. But Thelma and Louise sounds better, so I'm gonna Susan Sarandon a lot closer to vest. mm Hmm. He's the, she's the in a much more internalized, whereas Gina Davis is this very effervescent, bubbly quality mm-hmm, to her performance. Mm-hmm. But it also works so perfectly because you one one thing that is really great about this movie is that they are so different the two characters, mm-hmm. and they are not like a lot of dudes. You're writing a script like this; it's going to be hard to tell the difference between the two women. They're just going to be two women, right? A, these are two people. In this movie, and which brings me to my one big question about this movie: Where the hell did they meet?
1: Yeah, that's a good like question. How, how
0: did they become friends? That's like the one hanging thing in this entire movie that I was like sitting so there, like they're kind of different. And Susan Sarandon's older than her, and they like live different lifestyles. Where would they have run into each other? What like where would this have gone down that they became buddies?
1: That is that's fair, but I also think that. I almost kinda like that that's never because like not everything has to be explained. No. We don't need like a big yeah. I think it's like No, it's, it's just a
0: it's just a broad question. I'm not saying yeah. I'm not complaining.
1: No, I feel you, I feel you, I feel you, I feel you.
0: But it's um They were ultimately chosen, Susan Sarandon and Gina Davis and Ridley Scott had a united front that the ending would not be changed in <laughs> that particular. Rules. Susan Sarandon. Um and they were able to really find a tremendous balance and they knew it you know Ridley Scott said the sec in the same vein that when Sigourney Weaver entered the room for Ripley Susan Sarandon was Louise. bottom line mm-hmm. so they had their two key cast members let's get into a broad plot outline just to get us started before we move into the supporting cast let's do it essentially Thelma and Louise are two best friends in Arkansas, mm-hmm. if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, no, you're right. They are planning a weekend getaway. Man, they need it.
1: Yeah, they need it.
0: Uh, Louise, Susan Sarandon is just, you know, she's, seeing you know, all. she's smoking at the diner, you know, at
1: work. <laughs> yeah, she's at the Frankie and Johnny diner, she, folks.
0: She, yeah, she works alongside Frankie and or Johnny at the diner. Yeah. Um, it, You know, and it, she's very interesting because when we see her home life, she's like this neat freak, Everything super controlled, really cool character touches to get to know kind of who that she's kind of a control for. She's trying to hold on to something to have control over something in her life in a world that seemingly done her wrong. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, the neat thing is we get it through performance and action rather than her delivering a monologue about what the hell happened in texas exactly does we know it was bad we don't need to know necessarily what exactly it was and what caused. Co- like two plus two equals four it's like it sucked and she's hurt and she's remained hurt she has ptsd she's pissed off and it's at a simmer at all times great stuff yes meanwhile Louise or Thelma, pardon me, Jesus Christ. Thelma, uh, played by Gina Davis, mm-hmm. is a just slowly,
1: quietly,
0: casually being crushed in a world of terrible domesticity mm-hmm. by her loser, ineffectual asshole another thing i loved he's out on friday nights they never say he's cheating on you mm-hmm. but he is it's we so clear it's like and you don't need to say it just by visual storytelling and her behavior and the fact that he that he's not home that's enough yes we, we are smart people who are viewing these movies we could pick up the threads we've seen movies before yeah we understand <laughs> like
1: it, it's like all you do is take one look at this guy and yeah cr- one look yeah and kudos to christopher mcdonald he has this part what? down pat so christopher
0: mcdonald most people would know as shooter mcgavin from happy gilmore kind of his <laughs> um defining role yeah um you know and you if you know shooter mcgavin you kind of know what he does in movies and kind of how he <laughs> Chris rarely plays like a decent stand-up guy
1: yeah I'm uh, trying to think of like the nicest guy I think he's ever played as the dad in SLC Punk maybe yeah I mean and he's a great actor <laughs> and I think he you know
0: he certainly could play against type with ease I haven't seen all of his movies I'm sure there's something maybe in Breaking he's a nice guy yeah all, I know. he's in Lady uh, the Beaver he plays he, probably a nice person in in that Mon- he's in Monkey Trouble He's oh. in Fair Game with Cindy Crawford, which I've never seen. Uh, he's in a boy. He yeah, he worked a lot. Yeah, he continues to work a lot actually. He, he has, has a great you know, face. To he this a- day yeah, I mean, great actor, great face, not afraid to be a ding dong. Yeah, <laughs> uh, and he grows this mustache in this one. He adds a mustache to the mix. It's in his outfits, like his tank tops and shit like that. He's um. It's really good performance of just yeah. this, like doofus asshole misogynistic. He's a carpet salesman. Re you don't know what it's like to be a regional manager? That's like his first line
1: in the movie. Oh, man, what a <laughs> um,
0: other thing to say! And interestingly enough, ex-fiance to Gina Davis.
1: Oh yeah, in the
0: nineteen eighties before her fateful meeting on Earth, girls are easy with one Jeff Goldblum which wow. changed everything for all of their lives oh, oh wow 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 i think i'm going to um i think wow i mean i i respect him wow as an actor but um i'm gonna steal his girlfriend yeah. <laughs> oh,
1: wow, wow. earth girls are
0: mm, easy earth girls are um as they say uh easy <laughs> <laughs> wow <laughs> that, that my nice. favorite thing he was on bill simmons podcast and bill simmons like always looks at things through like a very like sports and like numbers mindset mm-hmm. so jeff Goldblum's in the big chill and he's like was there like a competition between you guys all you up and coming actors and stuff like that and jeff Goldblum was wow like you're a
1: real careerist man and i was like mm-hmm. <laughs> Oh yeah, dude! That was awesome. Bill Simmons disintegrates right in front yeah. of him. He's, like getting called out for like
0: yeah, yeah, most like artists don't behave in that same way. Yeah. <laughs> Life isn't a giant Excel spreadsheet. It's not. Like, I'm not like winning a. Tr- well, I guess you are winning a trophy for winning an Oscar, but like, and they probably are. Like, I'm like being. Broad there, but I I always liked like wow what a careerist <laughs> like <you> know, <laughs> I was like really funny and astute and, <laughs> and so and I like I mean who doesn't like Jeff Goldblum but anyway mm-hmm. Gene Davis does Christopher McDonald a solid gives him a really solid part as Daryl her shitty p- husband <laughs> <laughs> um, so basically what happens is that the ladies have planned this very ill-defined fishing trip to a cabin they're going to borrow. Mm-hmm. They don't really know how to fish. Clearly, what's nice about this is that they don't give a shit about fishing. They just want to leave town yeah. and get away from all of this terrible shit. <laughs> the world is a nightmare. It's <laughs> a nightmare. Yeah. They, they stop by a roadhouse, though, on their way up to the fishing cabin. Gina Davis is clearly, and this is the great thing, they're planting seeds that she is like about to freaking burst with all of this energy and pent-up like aggression, basically. An aggression of anger, aggression of sexuality, you you name it. Mm-hmm. It's like all at the surface, it's all in her performance, too. And it's in her face. It's really um it's a phenomenal performance, both of them. That kind of goes without saying we'll get into the accolades in a bit. Um, they stop by this roadhouse, they start having drinks, this uh Fella who, I mean, let's be honest, man, from the second this guy, what the hell's his name? Um, Harlan. Harlan Puckett, played by Uh, Timothy Carhart. Man. An actor I was not familiar with, but he does the job he needs to do. It's not a pleasant one, but he does it.
3: Yep. Um,
0: (laughs) You could tell he's like this, like, asshole shit kicker Mm -hmm. from the second he he starts flirting with Gina Davis. And this is like one of the reasons, another reason why it's so phenomenal. They're not perfect. Thelma and Louise and despite doesn't listen to her friend not knowing better Thelma Gina Davis is like yeah I'll dance with them I'm gonna have drinks with them like mm-hmm. she's looking for compassion from a man it, yeah it, in this movie and unfortunately everyone she meets sucks
1: <laughs> yeah, which like it's it's such start, a ju- yeah, it's so sad.
0: Starting first of foremost with Harlan because at least Harlan doesn't even have the abs Brad Pitt has. We'll talk about that later. Yeah, <laughs> like, no, no like, one does. That's, who, yeah. who would turn? Who would turn? Literally, ten out of ten peoples peds with
1: those yeah. abs <laughs> like <laughs> like he a whole movie theater did the text every face at him yeah, every yeah. single human being with
0: a pulse would make a bad decision to go in that hotel room with him so anyway um but harlan and gina davis um he's flirty but you know he's he, this dude is nothing but freaking trouble mm-hmm. they go outside and he gets real he flips it's bad it's he, he's a nasty character. He, yeah. he's, he's he's doing everything you expect. It's gross and uncomfortable and stuff like that. But luckily, Louise shows up on the scene to yell at him and stop it. We should also note when Thelma is packing all of her bags to go fishing earlier. What, two interesting things that I noticed. Thelma seems to be packing everything like she's not coming back. Which is very like not nothing is said about it. Oh, that's it's really like it's really like an exciting tease of like oh, yeah she's like really oh and she also be noticed she does not tell Christopher McDonald she's leaving. It does not seem too particularly troubled by yeah! the fact that she's not telling him she's leaving. She also th- tosses a um thirty eight handgun into her bag. We see it. Ridley Scott makes a point of showing us that he's that she's doing it.
1: That's it. Yeah, much she, like much like Chekhov's fat guy. Like once you see this gun, you know something's gonna happen.
0: Exactly. Yeah. You know, there there's a hill for George Went to
1: climb. <laughs> <laughs> no, someone's gonna be huffing and puffing.
0: Yeah, um, somebody's huffing Puffin. <laughs> uh, and she tells she tells Susan Saranna she has the gun. Um she does not know how to use it. Makes that yeah. very clear too. Uh Susan Wisely enough, because this Harlan guy is not the type of fellow who's going to listen or take no for an answer. Susan is packing heat, and she pulls it on him. He puts up his hands, they begin to walk away, and then he makes one snide comment, and the ticking time bomb that is Louise goes off. And she pops him a couple times, kills him right there on the spot. Mm-hmm. And from there on, the Malweys are on the run, and Man. that's basically you know, kind of the how this
1: story works. Yeah, it's like God. It's so interesting that you brought up that like because um, I didn't catch that that she was packing like everything. Like she brought us out like she brings out like four bags, like four suitcases. That's yeah. So it's like that that out, that actually suddenly like because there's like a version of this movie too where like. Thelma's like, you kill the guy. I'm calling the cops, right? You know what I mean, or like, you know, or like that's
0: they like one of them is kind of the like pragmatic but both of them separately have come to this subconscious conclusion that enough is enough. Yeah, we're done. We're yeah, we're we are done with society, man. Yeah, (laughs) we're easy riding from here on out.
1: Put on Steppenwolf.
0: But it's awesome that they come at it from separate ways without, like, talking about it.
1: And it like, feels organic! If, if
0: Yeah, everything in this movie slowly falls into play. It's like, again, a magic trick. Nothing is forced. There is no, like, grand statement. Everything just happens through action and choices and character motivations and who they are as these deeply felt, deeply written characters. hmm So, um, tracking them. We first get, of course, we got to get some cops Mm -hmm. in the mix. There's been a there's been a murder. We meet Arkansas State Police Detective Hal Slocum, played by Harvey Keitel, Harvey Keitel, Academy Academy favorite. We've met him countless times really along the way. I think we (laughs) have I don't know. I'm not even sure how many we've seen him in this, you know, certainly a contender for the Academy Academy Hall of Fame. Oh, for sure. Harvey, hey
1: Jesus, I'm walking hey, here.
0: Geez, yeah. <laughs> and I what I do love is that in the opening scene when we first meet him, he's try he's given a test drive to a southern accent <laughs> that he wisely
1: just drops. He's just like, you know what? I'm from Brooklyn. Don't yeah, forget it. it. Does, I'm no, good. Forget it. Like Doesn't I'll be more comfortable.
0: But the thing is, and so of course. Ridley Scott um, has a relationship with Harvey Keitel from the Duelists. Mm. And, but he wants Harvey to go against type. We've seen Harvey as a tough guy. We've seen him as a jerk. We've seen him as a guy you can't trust. Rising Sun. We've seen him as a dirty cop. Oh yeah. He is the He is literally the bad lieutenant. <laughs> He's the bad lieutenant. <laughs> he is the bad lieutenant. He wants him to play, though. And probably uh, over the course of the Academy Academy, we have met a lot of bad cops. A lot of dirty cops. Uh, Detective Hal might be the most decent cop we've met as a human being. <laughs> um,
1: it, it he is, he yeah. is
0: paternalistic mm-hmm. to a fault. But the big thing is he does not want this to end in violence. He yeah. believes... A calm conclusion is there. The only person he is truly mean to is a person who deserves it, which is the smart-ass J.D. We will meet shortly.
1: Oh, yes.
0: <laughs> um, and he's great in this movie. And it gives another side to Harvey Keitel, who has many sides. He's one of the great actors of his generation. People should talk about him in the same breath they talk about Pacino and De Niro and Hoffman and the rest of that gang. Yeah, I think.
1: 100%. He is easily on par with like I think he has just as many or at least is as capable as of an actor as like, easily. Like 100%. He, is, he might
0: not have like the leading roles, the iconic leading roles in the same vein that some of those guys do, but he is just the just a, just as strong of an actor. Yeah. As they are. So they're on the road. They need some dough. We learn that Louise has a musician boyfriend who's kind of um in and out of her life.
1: Yeah, a little distant. A
0: little distant. He's cool though. He's a cool guy. Let's get let's let's make that very clear. Yeah, he's very yeah. Cool <laughs> dude alert. Cool dude alert is on high. Um also like though is he shady? Turns out he's actually not that shady, which is really like neat. And another but Because of his distance, because of his selfishness, because of his inability to really, truly connect and read, Louise, he's still not a great, he's, you know, he's not perfect. No. Um, And this is, of course, Jimmy, played by the great Michael Madsen. And another against typecasting, because you think, based on his history, based on the fact that, like, maybe it's actually a year later, he plays probably the role that defined his career as Mr. Blonde in Reservoir Dogs um, kind of a bad boy though is kind of the impression Michael Madsen gives off
1: would you hugely so yeah huge, huge... bad boy huge like, and like think about like what movies he's done on art but like he was in Donnie Brasco he was yeah. arguably oh, great, m- they made the yeah great bad Sunny guy Black, in that movie Sonny
0: Black great great performance um
1: yeah he's got this like
0: cool dangerous guy Mm-hmm. Energy to him, which I think is Michael Matson. <laughs> like 100%, I, I hundred yeah. percent, that's just kind of how you know it's not too big of a stretch for him to play these kind of dangerous cool guys. Like mm-hmm. that is the life that he has led. And if you haven't listened to it, check out his appearance on the Pierce Cinema podcast. It is a truly classic bit of storytelling and and uh, interesting career retrospective of a fascinating and cool great actor. Um they wire he they tell him that they need some cash. He's they're gonna meet him at a hotel in Oklahoma. No, mm-hmm. they want the money at the hotel in Oklahoma. She explicitly says do not come yep. to Oklahoma. He brings her the money in Oklahoma. Uh and which goes to show like he cares about her. He's not gonna like stiff her. He wants to be there for her. But he does not listen to her.
1: Yeah, it's like it's. It's a
0: very interesting, very real character.
1: A hundred percent, and it and it also kind of like gives more, uh, like even like the people that like ostensibly care about the two leads, they still refuse to like respect their kind of like autonomy. See,
0: yeah, yeah, see them for exactly who they are, and of course, you know, because both Kaitel and Madsen, I would say, are good guys. Yeah, for the mo- like for the most part, they don't do anything bad. They are trying their best. They are trying to be allies. They're not very good at it. No, at the end, of- and that is so great. Isn't it that is it great? They're not black and white. They it's are, great. They are the- substantive characters. They are three-dimensional people you have seen before. Yeah, <laughs> like, you know. <laughs> and one of the things Callie Cory was trying to do with this script, so phenomenal. Um. She has them meet every kind of man in her eyes. It along is along this journey.
1: God, it's almost like some sort of like Chaucer. Like it's so like you're meeting just all these different dudes, and every dude is like a different form of like scumbag. It's incredible. Scumbag or just perfect or man. Yeah, flawed. Right? Yeah.
0: Plot, yeah, because yeah, there, yeah, there's no there's no David walking around. There's no one no one is perfect. Everyone has their blind spots. Mm-hmm. Some people are trying their best, like Harvey Keitel's character. Mm-hmm. Or even Michael Madison's character. Some people are like Harlan or JD. Who are bad to the bone.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> um, guitar riff. <laughs> yeah. Oh, we should, We'll get to the guitar riff soon enough. Because uh, we got to talk about the guitar riffs in this film. Uh, also on the road, though. They run across a young student and i just did um hand quotation marks (laughs) yeah young student who needs a lift this young student is of course jd who is played in his breakthrough performance by brad pitt
1: uh turns out he goes to the (laughs) freaking school of hard knocks yeah school of like (laughs)
0: <laughs> why wasn't this guy discovered in the 80s this is a superstar oh yeah no this <laughs> is like easily
1: it's 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 fucking
0: nuts the well, second he walks on the screen you're like who I could only imagine being a young person in 1991 and getting to this like three quarter the way halfway part of the movie and this guy walks on it and, and the like jaw dropping who is that You know, the last time I think I felt that was. um, I remember when I saw the social network for the first time and Dakota Johnson does that one scene with Justin Timberlake where she's like there she wakes up the morning after and kind of flirts with him. Oh, yeah. And I like I immediately like went online. I was like, who was that? Because I was like that. She's like she popped. Whoever that was, they popped. Right. Of
1: course. She's yeah. a star. Yeah. Like... No, but like, yeah, this is just like. Un... But this
0: is like the most meteoric version yeah. imaginable of like, that's a star. Who it, is that guy?
1: It's yeah. It, it's unreal. It's it's fucking. It's I mean, just he, yeah. He
0: he is like from space. He's such a hunk. Yeah. So the story goes. I mean, he's like been bumming around Hollywood trying to get parts. I don't know what. I would love to see a movie about brad pitt's first like six years living in hollywood before he was a star about just kind of like what he was up to how he's just kind of like bouncing around and, like i, like, I can like... picture like he was probably entering parties like he enters this movie like all the young people are sitting there like man i hope i make it as an actor and like a beam of light comes in through the front door it's I mean... like, who is that guy <laughs>
1: I mean, it's like a—it's like ever seen that like um com- Bulgers commercial with like a super young Brian Cranston. Mm-hmm. Like, I want to see like all those commercials. I want to see like the OG Geico commercial with like a twenty-two-year-old Brad Pitt. Like, yeah, like he's selling <laughs> like fish sticks or something
0: like that. You're like, yeah.
1: Wait, what? That guy? That like what? Like he's from space? Like <laughs> why? Why? <laughs> Why is Adonis made (laughs) Fletch hawking Wendy's salad bar? Like, why is he? (laughs) Why? (laughs) This man has
0: never been to Wendy's. He doesn't eat normal food.
1: (laughs) yeah, this dude is not friends with
0: the Arby's mitten. But it's so funny. Like, Ridley Scott apparently told him, like, play him like a sociopath. And Brad Pitt is such an innocent creature that he... In the making of documentary, he goes, "I had, I was embarrassed to tell him. I had to go home and look up what the word so <laughs> oh,
3: was. He's a perfect ding dong. This like perfect ding dong angel. <laughs> it's just Joe Black. He's just fucking
0: yeah, exactly." <laughs> Yeah, that's why he was actually fairly spot on casting as Joe, yeah. because it's like the most beautiful person in the history of the universe is this this like innocent who does not know anything yeah. about how the universe works, who's just stumbling around in his beauty.
1: Struggling with peanut butter. Struggling. struggling with
0: peanut butter. Like, man, whoa. Like, it's just telling people about it. Like, I just, man, I just found out about peanut butter yesterday. It is wild. Wild stuff. <laughs> wild stuff. Oh but God. interestingly enough, the part was not originally his. Oh, it belonged yeah. to one Billy Baldwin, William Baldwin, who went on to take a more uh, leading role in the film Backdraft. Man, that's but... why he took off. And what a universe! Will we even have? <laughs> would Would Brad Pitt be like a fifty eight year old man? Beautiful fifty eight year old man, just kind of bumbling around
1: Los Feliz <laughs> right now. <laughs> oh my God! Yeah. He might be. There's yeah. A, yeah, there's like a chance where he's just like a, a just a weird guy.
0: And next you know? week, next week we will meet the character that I think the that was living the life Brad Pitt was living prior to this movie, in his character Floyd in True Romance. We'll get to that next we'll get to that next week when you meet <laughs> when you meet the great Floyd. I'm uh, glad he's
1: not living the life of Drexel Spivy. <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a teaser for next week. We do not want him to be Drexel. <laughs> and don't, Brad, if you're listening, don't become a
0: Drexel. Drexel is one of my favorite performances. <laughs> we'll talk about that soon enough. Like A truly brave performance. Um, I, but listen, yes. listen to this murderer's row who is considered for JD. Hmm. George Clooney. Whoa. Robert Downey Jr. Mamma mia. Mark Ruffalo. What? Grant Show from Melrose Place. Huh. John Mellencamp, <laughs> Dylan McDermott, James LaGrosse, and Dermot Mulroney. The Dylan McDermott-Dermot Mulroney continuum. Like, you can't be in the same thing. That would, Have they ever been in the same room? No! You guy? would cause... Uh, th- <laughs> there would be a great Paris... It's crossing the streams in Ghostbusters. That's yes. exactly what this is. You're
1: opening a gate to, to the <laughs> netherworld. Do, do not bas- do
0: that. Basically, after Billy Baldwin drops out. They bring in Brad Pitt to read for it. He stumbles in, this probably barefoot, this beautiful stoner, (laughs) like bumbles into the room, barely, Uh, and and like shines a golden light on everything.
1: Straight up has like a piece of hay in his mouth.
0: (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) he's only
1: wearing like overalls, and
0: he's like, "Hey, I'm just right off the bus from Missouri, man," and you know, (laughs) adult Huckleberry Finn. He's like Axl Rose at the beginning of the um, "Welcome to the Jungle" music video.
2: <laughs> oh man, yeah.
0: <laughs> but I- he does, he has a chemistry read with Gina Davis, who apparently is so blown away by this golden god that she starts fumbling lines in his, and has to apologize because it's his, She's got the part. It's his yes! audition.
3: he's the Nietzsche Ubermensch. And
0: she, yes, she. So she reads with four dudes, including Brad. Ridley takes her aside afterwards. She goes so who do you think? And she goes, the blonde one. Duh. Yes! (laughs) That is how the world gets Brad Pitt, who probably would have found his way as the beautiful people tend to find their way.
1: Yeah, they get, like, they, you know, one dumb coconut at a time, they they find their, and it's like this thing, too, where, like, you know, George Clooney probably would have been, none of them!
0: None of them, no. That's this, the thing. It's perfect.
1: Yeah, it's like, this is the rule that was made for Brad Pitt. You need at this a moment. guy
0: who is this startling. Yeah. Like that, so Thelma can do everything possible to be dumb around him. All of the red flags that JD is, like, firing up the flagpole are on display throughout this thing. Um So he's at the same hotel when Michael Madsen shows up. Michael Madsen and Susan Sarandon have a night where he proposes to her, but it's a very, like, human, beautiful, honest scene where she turns him down Mm -hmm. and kind of tells him what's up. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, Brad Pitt's walking around shirtless with a hairdresser, hairdryer, pretending it's a gun, with abs of, like, you could, like, fry eggs
3: yes. on
0: them. <laughs> you could, like, shoot him with a gun and it would bounce off. Yeah. Like, it's like Clark you ever, Kent. Like, you punch him in the chest, you're breaking your hand. Yes. You know, it's like, and, it, and uh, what did, um, I think it was, uh, on the making of, I think it was uh Stephen Tobolowski. We'll get to him in a moment. He's talking about it, and he's like, yeah, you see him, you're like holy shit, I got to start doing some sit-ups. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh, poor Steven. <laughs> like, yeah, he was like, every young actor in Hollywood, I think it was the guy who plays the State trooper said the same thing, Jason Begge. Yeah. Um, we're all like, oh yeah, he kind of changed the paradigm of what was necessary to be a young actor in Hollywood because like you have to not only be like utterly charming, you have to be in impeccable shape and beautiful.
1: Yeah, it's not like, yeah, we, we no longer live in, like, the the world of, like, 30s and 40s America, where being in shape meant that you, like, could eat hamburgers quickly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, like, just because you're kind of a big guy like, means I'm, you're I, strong. Like,
0: I, I smoked two packs of cigarettes <laughs> today, not three.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I eat uh, I I eat the Gaston diet. I ate 4 dozen eggs, but I don't do any of like the working out.
0: Or... Yeah, I didn't drink to, like I only had 3 GTs. Yeah. <laughs> and I...
1: Like the average the average hunk in like 1940
0: was Wallace Beery. <laughs> and it, but like I when I used to do CrossFit, mm-hmm. like it was always so funny cuz like it was always like the dudes who I was in the gym with who were always just talking about like They're all struggling actors and they all want to play Marvel guys. Yeah. They're just working their asses off. (laughs) Because like Chris Hemsworth has like totally destroyed the male ideal.
1: Yeah. Like like, normal normal
0: man. Like how you could possibly look. Because that guy's like a, you know, even more jacked than Brad Pitt. I even heard Brad Pitt say like he didn't want to do host Troy. He just didn't want to do action movies anymore because he was like, I just can't like deal with being that fit.
1: Well, it's like not only <laughs> you have to be fit, you have to be like don't you have to be like starved and like there's all these crazy like, well, like you know So
0: supposedly like the Marvel guys for their shirts off scenes, they wanna be peeking in every possible way that week. Then when they put on like the leather jumpsuit and like the costume and stuff like that, they film that after because they all have to do the shirt off scene and they have to be like absolutely utterly chiseled for that scene. (laughs) You'll never forget like on the making of Place Beyond the Pines um, between shots, there's like, they're showing the dude getting set ups and Ryan Gosling's walking around with two kettlebells to get his arms, like the vascular look on the arms right before he goes on for shots. And I'm like, yeah, that would work. That's actually yeah. very that's actually quite smart. <laughs> like, that is,
1: yeah, I mean that'll do
0: it. That... That, yeah, that's like yeah, I would yeah, smart move, dude. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's like but even like when we saw Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, the first like five times I saw it, when Brad Pitt like pops his shirt on top of the roof. Yeah. Like even Jen, like they're all gasping. <laughs> they're like, oh my
1: god. Well it's even crazier that he's like a fifty eight year old man or some shit. <laughs> yeah, or he's I like know. almost sick. It's
0: like fuck you.
1: Why can be be whatever, more like what, norm. Yeah,
0: yeah, I know. Whatever, <laughs> like rich celebrity guy shit that they're pumping into him. It's I like... want give me some. Give yeah, me some. Oh, for give sure.
1: Yeah, please give me the. Yeah, give me that. That uh, you know the baby blood or whatever the fuck you're doing. But he and uh, he and Gina Davis had a very hot, hot scene yeah, together. Steamy, yeah.
0: Ste- steamy is all hell. You buy it. It was <laughs> the scene that was the scene that made him a star. You mm-hmm. believe every second of it. Um. And we should also note that um, Susan Sarandon has given Gina Davis the cash, her life savings that Michael Manson has brought her for safekeeping in her hotel room, uh-huh. of which Brad Pitt reveals he's not a student. He is a full on thief and hustler and, you know, nefarious character and user and abuser. And you he's, game a, cad. It. he's a total cad, but he's such a like goddamn hunk, c- like the greatest hunk you've ever seen in your life. Gina only has stars in her eyes. Mm-hmm. Um, so inevitably, they meet up the next morning. Gina's on cloud nine. Um, Susan's a little depressed because she kind of let told Michael Madsen hit the road.
1: Yeah. Uh, like another another thread connecting me to society a whole torn.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then um, Gina left JD alone in the hotel room. Not good. He robs her blind. He yeah. takes all their cash.
1: Well, what's interesting too is like we never um like we never get like family from either of them. Like there's such a star- stunning
0: moment too where um there's no family and Brad Pitt even asks her why doesn't she have kids? And she's like, "Oh, my husband doesn't think he's emotionally mature 40-year-old Christopher McDonald. Yeah, just a uh, pure, just large son through and through. And she calls him infantile, because basically they're either meeting true villains, their dads, or kids. Yeah. That's what, all the men they meet.
3: Nothing in, in between. Some, like
0: crossover between there. Because Michael Madsen is a big selfish kid, too. In his own way. And he thinks he can fix things with this, like, broad, like, romantic marriage (sighs) proposal that he saw on a TV show.
1: He he is, like, the type of guy that would, like, go to, like, a major sports game and, like, do that when they were on the big, like, Jumbotron. Like, he'd yeah. be at, like, a fucking Lakers game. And, and then when they have I'd the do kids, the kid,
0: yeah, he'd do the pro- yeah. You'd get,
1: like, the fucking, uh, I don't even know who the Lakers mascot is. I know in, in Houston, it's Clutch. He'd get Clutch the bear to come and help him give the, the proposal.
0: Uh, <laughs> Laker, Lakers mascot is Dustin Hoffman. <laughs> I
1: don't know. Uh, yeah, it's Jack Nick. It's that guy Jack who Nicholson. hangs out with Jake Nicholson. Yeah, it's
0: this guy, the rich guy Jack Nicholson hangs out with. Um... <laughs> We should also note, on their trails, Hal Slocum, Harvey Keitel, who's now been joined by the feds. Another thing I like about this movie, usually a lot of, the, like a classic movie trope, local cops and feds hate each other. Guess mm-hmm. who's getting along in this movie? The local cops and the feds. They're, they're surprisingly like competent normal and, and competent. Normal yeah. And like, not weird, like it, like it only gets scary trigger happy toward the end. Yeah,
1: um, I think that's when, like, uh, I think it's, like, you can get a, a sense that the the feds are kind of tired of the chicanery.
0: Yeah, and Harvey Keitel is, like, so trying to keep the peace. It's actually quite beautiful and moving. Yeah. See how much he wants to. Feds are led, of course, by Stephen Tobolowsky, the great Stephen Tobolowsky, who is terrific. In this movie, as he always is,
1: yeah, this is like it's so funny. I love it. I love it. It rarely happens, but I feel like he he always plays like an annoying character. And It's nice to see him play a not annoying character.
0: He's a competent FBI agent who wants to get the job done. Yeah, that's exactly it. yeah. And it's terrific. And so, um, the night and during their night before they have their steamy sex, Brad Pitt does explain to Gina Davis how to rob a grocery store, hmm. like a convenience store. So after losing the money, Gina Davis takes it into her own hands and does a little armed robbery of her own, gets them some cash, but essentially is sealing their fate. Yep. They could have probably, with some good attorney work, found a way out of the murder of Harlan in some level of defense, maybe mm-hmm. in a perfect world. And this is Harvey Keitel literally tells them this, <laughs> but Gina Davis is now on camera. Holding up a Seven Eleven with a handgun. Take things from there. Um, they 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 lock a state trooper in the back of his car, getting another gun. This disgusting trucker is on their trail the entire time. Oh my god! This
1: yeah, this evil hoardy man who
0: they who they're trying to ignore. Trying. This is also wonderful because it feels so like real. They're trying to ignore the cat calls. They're trying to ignore the cat calls. This guy won't fucking stop. He's awful finally they're like hey pull over with us they just kind of lay out the thesis of the movie that we you guys suck all of you suck we are so sick and tired of how much you suck he doesn't listen he's just a monster so what do they do they fire as all their guns at his truck and in a great helicopter shot blow up this entire semi truck it's awesome it is so like love, yeah it's yeah it's love great it. it's very empowering
1: i think like part <laughs> of what makes it work so well too is the guy just like refuses. it it's one of those things He's... where like had this dude just been like you know what i'm an asshole i'm sorry there was like a way for him to leave but it mirrors it mirrors like the previous like instance similar to this where the guy like refuses to be yeah. repentant and it's like yeah no, you know what? You no, get your truck you. load up. Fuck yeah. you. Yeah. Exactly. And it, this is
0: this actor's Marco St. John, who plays the truck driver. Um, Much like Timothy Carhart. Uh, thankless character. Good performance. But the heat's coming down. They're on the run. They're on their way through. Ridley Scott wisely, to keep in touch with this film also being a western at its core, takes things directly to John Ford, John Wayne country. And shoots the finale in the Grand Canyon, subbing in Moab, Utah, Mm. which is where, like, Ford Apache and, like, the searchers and stuff like that all went down. There is a shot of their car driving through the dirt with dust flying behind it with about 12 cop cars behind them with dust flying behind it. Helicopter shot. It is utterly uh, unreal. How gorgeous it is!
1: It is, yeah. If this is like one of those movies where, like, I feel like the first hour you watch it, you're like, "This is a good movie," but you can't really tell that it's like, you know, specifically like a Scott film. Like, it doesn't have that like energy of like a Ridley Scott. But like these scenes where you're just seeing the car drive through the desert, yeah, it's just it's beautiful. uh,
0: His and this kind of gets to my grand thesis about Ridley Scott. He executes better than almost any director of his generation when the material fits what he needs to execute like when the material lives up to his eye and his visual talent and his ability to harness sets and work with people and get the job done there there is a reason he has his reputation
1: yeah he will like he will rise to the occasion if the material provides that occasion yeah he
0: can't save weaker material totally with mm-hmm. his execution But he can elevate really good material to Mm -hmm. like this, like level of like movie ass movie watching that takes you like if you think about his great movies like that he does later on that really, really work like a gladiator or a Martian. Mm -hmm. He's elevating all of those with his execution, his pristine cinematic execution. And this movie to me feels like he hasn't he's not trying to prove anything. He's just trying to make something good. With his eye, with his exceptional talents that help him rise above, mm. Tony lives on a plane that he understands exactly who he is in his existence. Ridley is looking for more. He's looking to stretch at all times. Sometimes it, it works, sometimes it doesn't.
1: Yeah, I and mean, you know what? like, as hit or miss as Ridley can be compared to t- his brother. Like, you can't help but appreciate someone who is at least striving for something greater and, like, trying to, yeah, reach, like, and because when he does strive, he reaches the sublime. This yeah. movie, like, yeah, this is a sublime film. Absolutely.
0: That's a perfect word for it. Yeah. Yeah. Because he, he, he reaches a different place where Tony's consistency is so startling in its own right. And that's, like, a, its own great thing. They're separate great things. But Tony's consistency is, like, every movie's bang <laughs> just like a good time
1: yeah i'm just here to have fun
0: bro (laughs) yeah Yeah. it's like man i'm gonna entertain the shit out of you Mm really is like striving for greater things like wider he wants to go to space he wants to like you know he's shooting for the stars sometimes he gets there sometimes he doesn't he works a lot um which leads us to the end of this movie basically um they've reached the end of the road literally they are on cliffside in their car. Their awesome car. The car's a character in the movie. We gotta say that. Am I right? Yeah,
1: I'd say it's yeah, it's the third character. There's
0: sixty six Ford Thunderbird, which was in the script. Callie Corey distinctly said that. I believe that they had what five or six of them? Yeah, they had, they had, had four out. at least.
1: They had four, yeah.
0: And they had to throw like three of them off the cliff.
1: <laughs> oh my god. What a tragedy. But yeah. still
0: cool though. So all the cops are up. The cops are trigger happy. Kaitel knows that he's there with Tobolowski. Kaitel is maybe the moment of the movie for him. He's screaming at Tobolowski, "Don't let them fire! Don't let them fire! I can, I can stop them! I can save them!"
1: No, no, no. What? But that's a dude thing. Yes, it's a dude thing. That he yes, blindly believes this, and it's
0: so cool and so. Be- How many times have you see this in a movie? Only an actor of Harvey Keitel's caliber. I mean, Al Pacino could have done this part.
1: Yeah, but, maybe. You know, yeah. It, but
0: it has to be a guy like that.
1: Yeah, it has to be kind of the... You have to have those edges.
0: So the, they're looking out on the cliff. The cops are about to fire. Harvey launches into just this mad sprint. Uh, it's so sad. On, it's it so off. It's so good. But he does not know in the car. Mm-hmm. The, the, they grab hands. And with Susan Saran's idea, Susan Saran leans over and gives Gene Davis a kiss. They did not tell Ridley they were gonna do it, but it works. Yeah. And it's so tender. Because at the end, guess what? The title rings true. The ampersand in the title reads true. This is a team. They are gonna they're riding they are ride or die, as one would say. Yeah. <laughs> and Susan guns it, and they hold hands and they scream. And they drive that car right off the cliff. Ends in a freeze frame. Cut to white. We get a montage of the good times. You know, the end of the movie. Wow, I was emotionally. I was so emotional by the end of the movie. I was like so engaged with everything that was going on. Um, even though I knew it, I knew, I knew they drove the car off the cliff. It's been parodied. Same here. Time. Yeah, but you no. don't.
1: But you never like. It's just. It's a testament to the way the movie builds. Yeah, 100%. And it's like a testament to, like, yeah, the fact that, like, even though, like, we know what's happening emotionally, it's still, we still have that shock. We still have that, like, gut reaction.
0: It's utterly spectacular. The film really called it a vacation, which, based on all of our stories of others other films, that's a good sign. Yeah. Like, they had a great time. Everyone got along. Everyone knew the mission. The performers, the team, everybody's on the same page it's terrific everyone's feeling great about this except for the mgm marketing team is it an action thriller is it a comedy is it a buddy movie? you know yeah is it a tragedy
1: it's like it is like a movie you really can't but then god it's a testament to how good it is that like you can't you can't really put it in a you know, is it romantic? Is it a romantic comedy? Is it a yeah? Is it a thriller? A, is it yeah? It's it's,
0: it's it's a it's a human movie. Yeah, it's a movie. That's what it is. It gives you it's all the elements life. of a movie that you want in a movie. Um, screened out a competition as the closing film in the 1991 Cannes Film Festival, opened in American theaters May 24th, 1991. A sleeper hit. We should note budgeted 16.5 million, made 45 million in the states. Not a blockbuster, but for a movie of this size and this style, a nice number, nonetheless.
1: It's like one of these things, too, where, like, yeah, like, very rarely are movies of this style released during the summer anymore. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's like you're really at this point only like a a Christopher Nolan or a Jordan Peele.
0: It's a counter-programming type film to the blockbusters that year, movies like Terminator 2 Judgment Day, Mm -hmm. Robin Hood, (laughs) Prince of Thieves, Silence of the Lambs. Um... 86% 86% on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, simultaneously funny, heartbreaking, and peppered with action, Ridley Scott's Thelma Louise is a potent, well acted road movie that transcends the feminist message at its core. That's a backhanded compliment at the end, if you ask me. Yeah, <laughs> well, come on, Rotten Tomatoes. Is it a negative to have a feminist message? No.
1: <laughs> come on. That R- statement t-
0: makes it seem like it's a negative. <laughs>
1: <laughs> her- her- come on now come, come on.
0: on um jenny maslin of the new york times had only praise mr scott's thumb and louise with a sparkling screenplay by first-time writer callie Corey is a surprise on this and many other scores it reveals the previously untapped talent of mr scott best known for majestically moody action films like alien blade runner and black rain for exuberant comedy and for vibrant american imagery notwithstanding his english roots it reimagines the buddy film with such freshness and vigor that the genre seems positively new it discovers unexpected resources in both its stars, Susan Sarandon and Gina Davis, who are perfectly teamed as the spirited and original title characters. Indeed. Indeed, on all counts. And it should be noted, Ridley Scott is living a really, like so many excellent filmmakers who came to the United States and are stunned by the weirdness <laughs> and all of the sights of the United States. Take a look at someone like Vin Venders, Paris, Texas, as a uh, tremendous example. Of that, I would say, um, and um, and one lesser-known film that I like, Jock Demi's uh, Model Shop, would be mm. another example. And there are countless because so many, um, you know, Paul Verhoeven's view of the United States um, kind of goes all over the place. I think even we're seeing it now with um, Australian Andrew Dominic, his last two films, Killing Them Softly and the New Blonde, are also taking a highly skeptical outsider's view of United States iconography.
1: Yeah, John Hillcoat. I feel like, follows that too. Like, yeah, a lot mm. of these directors that come here and realize, well, America's fucking weird. Yeah, it's weird. <laughs> and you know,
0: They've seen it as an outsider in movies, but now they're driving through, and it's like, what the fuck?
1: Um, yeah.
0: Roger Ebert withheld a perfect score mm. on the basis that the last shot before the titles began as a freeze frame that fades to white, which is fine, except it does so with unseemingly haste. It's unsettling to get involved in a movie that takes 128 minutes to bring you a payoff that the filmmakers seem to fear. Hmm. I, don't, a, know.
1: Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, that's
0: yeah. I don't know. Um, naturally, the film also received harsh criticism from those who thought it was biased against men and his <laughs> depictions of men were unfairly negative.
1: <laughs> cool
0: dudes. <laughs>
1: oh god yeah like William F. Buckley's
0: crying yeah and uh (laughs) to give a taste of this we of course go to the New York Post (laughs) and film critic Kyle
1: Smith oh
0: god uh, that guy yeah uh, if you're a fan (laughs) of film criticism you know who this guy is this fucking Uh,
1: nerd this fucking this bow tie wearing dork
0: yeah exactly yeah very very like William F. Buckley going on his boat (sighs) Uh, allegedly describes the film as a misogynist tale about unbelievably ditzy women who lose what remains of their reason under pressure and suffer the ultimate punishment he thought they made terrible decisions all the way through and then uh even some female critics sheila benson of the la times Said the film is not feminist because it's preoccupied with revenge and violence more so than feminist values. This is, um, probably not two dudes like Patrick and I's place to make cast any judgment.
1: Yeah, it's fair to hate them because, like, it's like, yeah, because I can also see the argument of, like, yeah, um, I don't know, but that argument in particular, what she's saying. But I, you know, but Jen, the point that Jen made, like, the, getting back the... to
0: kind of our conversation from the beginning about violence mm-hmm. being the kind of the only result,
1: yeah, and like not but, being able to escape that whole, like, that yeah. is
0: that really cynical? Is that really pessimistic? Are there other choices beyond violent release? Yeah, from and this l- society, who's to say?
1: Yeah, and you know what, like, I think my take on it is, like, I'm glad that you can do a movie, like, like you can, you, there should be movies that do it that way, where, like, there is, like, a way out, and there is, like, a happiness or a light at the end of the tumble, tunnel, but it's also really nice and that you can do a movie this way as well, and, like, there yeah, is something, I
0: think, yeah. I, yeah, I think that, I also think that movies, should, like, that are delving into these issues, these very important big issues, should not be tidy. They should not
1: have an answer. Yeah. Also, like Callie Curry doesn't re- I think she even said at some point in one of the articles I read that like you're not supposed to like they're not like heroes. Like these
0: Yeah. <laughs> and it's a it's absolutely tremendous script that Ridley Scott recognized and executes perfectly, showing what he is made of. Showing like his full the full range of his talents in a completely different light. The script deservingly won best original screenplay at the academy awards her first script she went from unrepresented writing at night to winning the oscar for her first screenplay damn hats off to you cali yeah Um, yeah, just yeah crazy still i believe taught in film schools as a prime example of a good screenplay she sold it
1: for i think like
0: half a million dollars is an excellent script. Damn. It should be studied. It should people should be looking at this movie and how to make a really rock solid audience in uh, that brings in an audience and not an art film
1: um, story. Yeah. Also, I'm gonna watch Natural. I think now. I think I'm sold on Natural <laughs> cool. because of this. So we'll see how um, that goes. The film was
0: also nominated for Best Film Editing, Best mm-hmm. Screenplay, Best Cinematography for Adrian Biddle. Got to give him a big ups. That was oh, yeah, he, really he nice it. work. First ever Best Director nom for Ridley Scott. Ooh, baby. Ooh, baby. And, most notably, Best Actress for the... This has not happened since. In either the male or the female categories, Gina Davis and Susan Sarandon both nominated for Best Actress. Mm -hmm. According to Ridley, perhaps correct, they kind of cancelled each other out in the eyes of the voters. And Jodie Foster snuck in to one best, at, been best actress for a phenomenal performance in Silence of the Lambs. We cannot discount that in the slightest. She's no. excellent in the film. God, um, no, I need to see I the other decide. I was vacillating back and forth on which performance I thought was better as the movie progressed. It's my, tough. Yeah. I don't they're know. Both, they're both terrific. They, all of their vo, uh, vaunted, you know, high status. That both actresses have based on this film and others, but kind of this film, I think, is going to be their kind of. um I think this is going to be kind of their obituary film.
3: If you yeah. ask me,
0: I think um I'm so thankful they have not remade this yet. <laughs> yeah, think, they don't need to I remake it's this. Happen, but I, I don't see. I think it's it's sitting there, man.
1: Yeah, it um, doesn't. It doesn't need to be remade.
0: It's good. It Doesn't need to be. It still works. Does not feel dated. Still thrilling, provocative. They were on the cover of Time magazine. Wow. The the conversation, the discourse. The pre Twitter discourse of Bellman Louise. We posted a photo on our Twitter feed though of Mm. this time of said Time Magazine photo. Um, you know, bottom line, really scott does a phenomenal job. He's back in our good graces in a big way, I think, Mm -hmm. after this film. Uh, if you haven't seen it, HBO Max, check it out. It's terrific. It's well worth your time. Would you... It, I think you agree?
1: 100% agree. It's. I think it's like... Yeah, I think it's... It's... I am like... I want to rewatch Alien now, because it is kind of like... These are like this and Alien. I think Alien might be a little better, just because, like, Alien Alien is just like... It's an even... It's so crazy how perfect that movie is. Although like man, the way that this movie crescendos and uh just so like, the emotional. Yeah, and like I connection. and I think I and I'll be I'll be honest too. Like this is a movie that has a lot of hype and so you go in and you're like, "Oh, you know, a lot of movies we've watched in the past that have had a lot of hype, you know, sometimes they don't live to it, and this movie by the end of it fully does. Like it earns it earns its, its ending.
0: It's heartfelt. Authentic, and true. Yeah, it th- there's no there's no false moves in this movie. Really hey. finds it, man. If you argue that he's a cold filmmaker, take a look at this one. This is a warm movie. For all the nasty stuff that goes down, it's a very warm movie. And hey. yeah, I was really impressed. This is definitely in that Alien Blade Runner group of his best work, mm. by by a wide margin, for sure. Next week we stay on the run. With another lovers on the run, or friends on the run, you know, there are more friends in this one, but lovers on the run in the next picture, next film, which is, of course, Tony Scott's True Romance. Ooh. Very exciting. I've already watched it this year. That's how much I like this one. I've never we'll seen it before. It. I'm so excited to talk to Patrick about this, get into it, get into some Tarantino stuff, get into this crazy good cast.
1: I know it's, uh, it's so funny. I have never seen true romance, but for some reason, I know that Gary Oldman plays a guy named Drexel Spivy. Like that name is just stuck and, in my uh, head. <laughs> once,
0: once, once you see this performance, you will not come back as a fan of acting. Um, it uh-huh. is a startling, brave performance because he is doing some stuff that, most actors today would feel they could probably be cancelled for. <laughs> oh no, he, Zorg himself? He it's, would never it's it's, it's rough. It, oh, it's no. like it's wild. But you know the reason why it works? He's a bad guy. Like yeah. he's a very, very bad guy. He's evil. And, yeah, he's evil. So, it's like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but it's crazy. It is crazy. Um, and then the following week we do a Ridley Scott double feature. We take to the high seas. Arr. Arg with 1492 conquest of paradise and White Squall. Arg, tis I, Christopher Columbus. Arg, indeed. Who <laughs> knows? On the, I have not seen either of these ones. These are not known as favorites of yeah, the but... Ridley Scott catalog, unless you are a Christopher Columbus fan, or evidently White Squall, um, a QAnon fan. Oh no. <laughs> oh no, on both counts. <laughs> Where um, we go,
1: one we go all.
0: Oh? Yeah. Yeah, we'll get into it. We'll figure... We'll try and figure it out. I don't yeah. know. We're going um, into this thing blind. Both are available and most of the services to rent. No, neither are currently streaming on one of the services. Uh, uh, a peek behind
1: the curtain, too. I... <laughs> Recently purchased a uh a sound effects machine, a soundboard for my computer. That might get some, I get some ample use on the White Squall episode. We
0: thought we wanted to be respectful to a great film today. <laughs> um, if those stink, you know the comedy is going to be coming strong. Yeah, yes. But next week, true romance. Check with, check in with us at the Academy Academy Podcast at Gmail or on Twitter at the Acad Uh We'd love to hear from you if you are new. To um, Thelma and Louise, and you liked it as much as we do. Let us know. We're into it.
1: Um, fun episode, man. Good very, times. very fun. Yes, uh, man. Well, uh, I gotta go. I, you know, there's just this, this, this hunk. Just uh, I just got some money. Got some money <laughs> from and my, all, uh, from my ex, all of, and
0: all of this cash. But this guy with abs of steel, who looks like he's come from space, and God, and God Himself. And, has created a man in his image by the name of Brad Pitt has a show shown up at our door.
1: Yeah, you know Uh-oh. what I, I was playing uh you know before that we recorded I was playing some uh Wii Wii with him earlier, Wii Sports, and uh he was using his Wii remote to show me, you know, how you would stick up uh stick up a bank. It was exciting. Yeah, we're on the run. We're on the run. <laughs> hey. For Patrick, I'm Don. We'll see you next week on the Academy Academy. Adios